Today's sermon title is No Hypocrisy. And first thing that I will say is that this is not something that we point to others. Crossway Church is full of hypocrites. You know, when you go to recovery, and top steps are based on Christian principle anyway, the biblical principle. The first step, number one, is um, coming out of the denial. Admit your problem, right? So every human being's default heart is tainted by our sinful nature, which is uh, there is an insatiable desire for people's approval and praise. The only difference in our church that we will continually pursue wholeheartedly is that we are recovering hypocrites. Turning our way intentionally, realizing we do have a problem until we see Jesus to face. We will struggle with that power of sin. But we are being free from the power of sin from that insatiable desire for people's approval and man. And today is exactly about that. So starting with me, this applies to everyone in this room. Now we're not talking about any other church, any other people that you know. And if you find a church that has no hypocrites at all, don't join them. Because you're going to make that church hypocritical church. (laughs) Matthew 6 is another division and chapter moving uh, forward in, the, in his, his teaching in Sermon on the Mount. So a little bit of a recap and overview. Let me remind the theme of Sermon on the Mount. The key verse of those three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, is chapter 6, verse 8. Do not be like them. Do not be like who? In two ways. The worldly, secular people, godless people who deny the fear of the Lord. So we need to be denied. We need to be radically different from them. And the secondly, also be different. Do not be like those who are religious, but and yet have duplicity in their Motives and lives. Do not be like Pharisees and scribes. So in some sense, our application is double, multiple layers also too. In other words, we are to be different from the world, but we are also from the, the mainstream church that is tainted by the culture just because the religious people have a right Things in their lives doesn't mean they have right motives. We have right motives. So in that, there is a a first section starts with actually Christian character. This uh, eight eight beatitudes are a portrait of kingdom citizens. The people who are already belong to Christ 
already belong to the kingdom of God, who is living on earth, and this is a description rather than prescription. It's not duties in order to be saved, but if you are saved, it belongs to God, God's kingdom. Live in the kingdom culture. Character starts with inner transformation. And then secondly, Christian influence. Uh, you are the salt and the light of the earth. So the, there is a role. and there is, You are to influence the world rather than be influenced by the world. And this is a really critical matter. And thirdly, radical difference in, difference in righteousness. This righteousness is righteous living. There are two parts. One is moral righteous, righteousness. Past several messages about that. Dealing with six examples of the Old Testament. And Jesus brings out head on. You heard, you shall not murder. But I say to you, anyone who has anger towards brother and calls your brother names, you have already committed adultery. I mean, committed murder. You heard uh, you shall not commit adultery, but anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. So the moral righteousness is not just a theoretical. We are to be radically different morally. This is a call from our Lord Jesus for us to live a holy life in today's world, morally decayed world. <clears throat> Chapter 6, there's a sharp turn. And then to make it clear, we don't usually use that word, but to make that blatantly clear, I would say radical difference in religious Righteousness. When we do religious things, between you and I, we will say, when we do Christian life together, the righteousness has to be radically different. So, I want to do two things as we meditate on this passage. And the first thing I will do is let's look at overarching principle kind of have an overview and look and we will go three sections of those practices okay first one beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven There are three things in this section, the religious righteousness or the spiritual practices. The first one is almsgiving. Second one is praying. And third one is fasting. These are three basic Christian spiritual practices we must embrace as a way of life. After all, Christians are the followers of Jesus Christ, meaning we are to follow Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' example. 
And these three things are unavoidable. And sometimes a convenient man-centered way of doing Christian life is, I don't like when I fast. But fasting was assumed in this passage. Almsgiving. What is almsgiving? I, I was going to just say it giving. But giving to uh, church, giving to missions, giving to things like that is a little different. Almsgiving comes from the Greek word mercy, pity. Probably the closest word for our generation is charitable giving. Charity, right? So giving to the people who are poor, giving to people who are needy, that's almsgiving. And once again, that is assumed when you give. So we we need to be uh, clear about that. And let me let me be clear about uh, when you give to the needy. And Jesus didn't say if you happen to give to to the needy. So if we don't really practice this, we can't even apply what Jesus is teaching about not being hypocritical in doing so. I actually wanted to bring that up to us. It's, it's convicting, even for me. Do I regularly give to the people who are needy? Simply because of mercy and generosity, compassion. And do I pray to God and do I uh, fast, humbling ourselves, declaring our utter dependence dependence on God? So notice that even the words that we use, and even in the news something drastic happens, uh, even the TV anchors, who's not religious at all, will say, and who's not even allowed to be religious at all, will say, Pray for our soldiers. Pray for the, the families of the victim. The euphemism for having the good thoughts. You know, this is blatant religious practice. One thing that is so different from irreligious people to religious people, we do pray. We pray to God. Verbalize, even quiet, silent prayer is still the verbalization of our thoughts to God rather than having good thoughts. And let's be mindful about that influence as well. When, whenever we get emails, you know, I think our church has cultivated really good spiritual habits. So a lot of people send men's group or women's group. I'm interviewing. Could you pray for this? I'm praying for uh, our kids about this in our house. Could you pray for this? And the response is so encouraging. Oh, I'm going to surgery. Praying for you today. Praying for you right now. We'll be praying for you. May those prayers not be having good thoughts. Even if it's just one moment of verbalizing Lord Jesus Father God I'm praying for this brother praying for this sister 
as I'm writing this email, have mercy on him, give him favor as he goes through this interview, make your face shine upon him. Verbally, clearly. It takes on, you know, 10, 20 seconds, right? <coughs> Number two principle, uh, inner motive is important in doing good. The ultimate choice between pleasing self and pleasing God is actually results in authenticity versus hypocrisy. I wanted to just say motive is important. But there is, seems to be two kinds of motives. Because you know, people declare motive, right? We really want to help the orphans. Here is my giving. So that declaration, that motive, could be different from unseen inner motive. That we are not to judge others' inner motive. God sees them. God will judge. And on that day, that everybody's inner secret motives will be judged as well. But inner motives are important. In other words, all these three things, and even kind of going apart from those, the, the inner division of those three things, Simply put, doing good deeds, doing the right things, when we have a wrong motive, it changed, tainted the entire color, and which is not, doesn't become, doesn't remain right things. Doing things, doing the right things wrongly results, you're actually doing the wrong things. It's better to not to do it rather than doing the right things in wrong way. Martin Lloyd-Jones, as sharp as usual, and points out the, the what's really going on whenever we say, uh, you know, people pleaser. I really am a people pleaser. It sounds like a, we are. Uh, we want to please those people. And li- listen to what he writes. Ultimately, our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may please ourselves. Our real desire is not to please others as such. We want to please them because we know that if we do, they will think better of us. In other words, we are pleasing ourselves and are are merely concerned about our self-gratification. So true, isn't it? Number three, we are to pursue only God's reward rather than man's reward. When you think about the pseudo- Righteousness and the authentic, true righteousness both have a reward. Um, if you are doing the right things, good deeds, 
to be seen by other men, other people, you have a reward. If you do things, good things, to be seen by God only, you have a reward. I, I still remember this um, As I'm meditating on this, my grandma came came to my mind. So it's my mom's. He, she, she, she was my mom's mom. Uh, so such a godly woman, and to live with her was a such a blessing to me. And uh, she would read the Bible just every day. And then whenever I come in and she wants to uh, sing hymns with me or listen to the Bible reading with me. When I was younger, very, very, like toddler age. um, And then sometimes she will say, let's go. Where are we going, Grandma? And she will take the newspapers. Back then, nobody really recycled. But the, even that re, the little money that she gets by recycling, she will go to the, the street market, the wet market. There are widows whose store is what's on her head. And they put it down and they there sit there. And then she will give them rice. She will give them something they need. And one of the ladies became a Christian. And then she would come along, even in the street, and they will pass out tracts to people. So I, I've, I have a received a word, reward, a word before, when I was, I think, second or third grade, because I picked up, let's say, I think it was only about, Five dollars, you know, maybe just five hundred ones. Maybe I'm not quite sure, but it was not a big money, right? But with good intention, I was a goody boy. I went to the police station on the way to school, and I told them I I I got this from the street. Please return to, you know, the owner. And I forgot about it. And then police contacted our school. And there, nobody claimed the money. So we will give you the money. And then there's a little bit of a, you know, the student Paul Kim is recognized here by the police station. right? So, oh, it's great. But when I, when I was seeing all these things that my grandma was doing, grandma, why don't we tell people, church people, that we're doing this? Then maybe we'll get reward. I want to be recognized. Right? I, more, more my expression was, I want you to be recognized. But I want to be recognized along with you. Right? I would never forget her remarks. Well, Paul... If we receive those rewards, there will be no reward in heaven. 
There will be no reward heaven in heaven. As a young mind, I understood what she was doing. She didn't want to cheapen what he was doing by, be, by getting, seeking people's recognition and praise. She was totally fine doing things behind people, good deeds, and no one knows that she was doing. That's what Jesus is going at here. When you think about the nature of God's reward, even itself, is not even compared to the worldly things. So don't, don't misunderstand that. I think the, one of the bad things about prosperity gospel is that using faith to get the worldly things, right? So when Jesus, when Jesus said, there will be reward by your heavenly Father, he doesn't mean that there is a same kind of reward, some kind of material reward, or there is a, you, your mansion is bigger in heaven, and nothing like that. But the, the reward has to do with God's recognition. Do you know what I'm talking about? When your kid sees, knows that you are pleased with what he or she's doing, there's no better reward for that. God extends him saying, the well done, my good and faithful servant. God's favor is on us. And one of the concerns for the, our generation is going to the other extreme, say, seeking any kind of reward, is, isn't that a mercenary thing? So we, we should not seek anything? No, actually, God wants to seek him the giver of all good things. God doesn't want us to focus on the gifts that he gives. God wants to focus on the giver of the gifts. But He, every good gift comes from the heaven above. Right? So now, let's go into the first thing. Almsgiving to the needy. Verse 2 to 4 Thus, when you give to the needed, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in Secret, and your your father who sees in secret will reward you. The first practice, basic Christian practice, is almsgiving. Almsgiving is our duty of compassion and mercy for the needy. And James puts it as a the real faith, living faith that has fruit of good works. Warning, 
and then you will see the repetition of similar expressions. Warning is don't do it hypocritically to be seen by people and the things, those things of trumpet blowing uh, in the streets actually happened by Pharisees. Um, and they're kind of parading, right? And when, it, when we look at that, it's, it sounds so elementary, sounds so shallow. We don't, we don't do that anymore. But when, when we think about even institutions, educational, you know, higher educations, or even nonprofit organizations, even church, churches, the big donors have the name so-and-so's room, so-and-so's building. Why? Because it contributed that much. And then their, their logic becomes more, my legacy will be giving to you guys. And the church or nonprofit or school feels responsible for, to make some kind of remark. We will name this building in the name of your family. The Johnson Building. What is the charge, rather than broadcasting or showing off, and it, which shows that it's a wrong concept of, of God? An actual, the good thing is tainted and becomes a, not a good thing anymore. Charge is practice, authentic, authenticity, and secrecy in almsgiving. Do not be poor. Do it before men. Why? To have a right motive. And do it before God to receive the right reward. So the reason why I said authenticity and secrecy is that there are sometimes the situations are difficult to keep the secrecy. And those people who insist secrecy is it is it another twist of motive there? Let me let me explain. Um, in verse three, when you give to the needy, do not let your left let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean, think about this. How how can left hand not know what right hand is doing? You know. What Jesus is saying is, don't keep a record. Forget about it. Don't be self-conscious about your secrecy. So imagine that. Uh, this is confidential. I, I gave this amount of money to my brother who is struggling. He's, he's not in our church. But I gave anonymously because I wanted to do it in secrecy. Just wanted to share my heart with you. What am I doing? There's a, just oh, like I did. I did in secret. Oh, I I did the right thing. I had the right motive. I want some some people to see that. You know how wrong that is. Another way of looking at it. 
as if we're going back to the Christian influence, you're the salty of the earth and the light of the world. And let your good works to be shown to others so that your heavenly Father will be praised. There is an oxymoron here, right? Seeming, seemingly contradicting. Here, hide. You know, that passage says show. A.B. Bruce, one of the commentators, brilliantly points, that, points this out. Show when, you're, when tempted to hide. I.e., my remark is, you, you don't become ashamed to be Christian. You don't become ashamed of God's good news, the gospel. And then he will say, show when tempted to hide. Hide when tempted to show. You want to parade and broadcast, then you, sh- you hide. I'm grateful even eight years of our uh, church plant here and being a pastor, and there are some needs that I had, and some people heard about it, and there are occasions. Uh, one of our elders hand me the envelope, and it's all cash. So who is it from? I don't know. And then there was a time that I was trying to figure out the handwriting, you know, <laughs> compare it. But, but I just realized that will kind of cheapen their joy, too. So I let it go. And some people actually use this label, you know. And when, when some people heard about our, my brother who has, you know, brain disease and, you know, had to resign his church, no source of income, and out of compassion, a lot more than the thin, thick, all cash. When I, when I hand it over to my brother's family, my sister-in-law was in tears. How can I thank? Can you find out? And my, my response was this. And they will be robbing their joy. Let they be seen by God. And be rewarded by God. I only share this. I hope that, that well, my sharing doesn't cheapen uh, our community that way. To encourage that it is really possible. There is a sense of joy. And Kate and I have done some things that in secret. And then there is a kind of moment that, should I share this? Should I not? Of course I need to, I should, I need to not share even anything doing in secrecy. And there is kind of joy for those who have done it to be seen by God only. There's a bubbling joy. The joy that you cannot, no one cannot take it, take it away from you. That's a Christian joy. The second practice is prayer, praying. Verse 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. The prayer is duty of ours, our duty to seek God. In uh, Psalm 27, verse 8, King David is saying, You have said, Seek my face. Lord, I am seeking your face. Seeking God. And seeking God is confessing adoration, of course, even supplication, asking God, simply childlike way, but seeking God, relationally. He is our Heavenly Father. And Jesus taught us to call Him Abba, which means Daddy. The warning is very similar. Don't pray like religious hypocrites, nor irreligious pagans kind of uh, wishful thinking of praying as a, some kind of magic spells uh, to, to be seen to pray to be seen by man would have a wrong audience to keep babbling we'll talk about that next week I mean in two weeks the wrong concept of prayer and God and charges pray authentic, with authenticity and secrecy in mind. Close the door. Why? To get rid of distraction and temptation. And to pray your, to your Father and, and to seek God. So I need to kind of have the bird's eye view and going back and forth so that we would not tilt toward to the extreme of another pen, pendulum. <clears throat> but our generation, postmodern generation, would say, why can't we just be efficient? Let all people pray in their closet. Isn't that what Jesus said? Saturday morning, why do, we, why do you just keep saying a co- corporate prayer? What? Because the end goal is authenticity, not secrecy itself. Jesus prayed with his brother, his disciples, uh, early church people. Their, their common devotion was listening and devoting to the apostle teaching, which is scripture, and praying together and breaking bread and sharing things. So this is not saying that public prayer is, there is no place for public prayer or corporate prayer. Having said that, uh, a few months ago, a friend of mine asked me for feedback. I was asked to pray in a public 
it's a very honorable situation in her role in in you know everybody seeing it needs somebody but online so what do you think am i i just want to make sure that i'm theologically sound and this sounds good and then my feedback is oh this is wonderful but i have a better feedback for you pray to god pray pray as if god is the only one who's hearing your prayer you could read okay it that's okay to read if you have written no need to close your eyes and stumble over words but pray with read with the prayerful heart that your heavenly father is listening and hearing your prayer if we don't have that what's going to happen typically uh even presidential breakfast and the pastors are invited to pray and gradual commencements and some non-profit organization groundbreaking things the people are uh, you know even tele televised in that and then some of the remarks that people make is that was the most eloquent prayer that ever prayed to this congregation What? Pray to God, not pray to congregation or pray to yourself. It's simple as that. Jesus is saying, be real. In so doing, we need to remember that we do have an insatiable desire unless we become vigilant. Do not assume, oh, I I really don't have a desire for approval you know everybody's kind of nodding including me so we, we don't want to offend you but in in, heart, in in what I'm hearing myself saying is liar <laughs> especially when pastors are saying that I, I become even more stronger it's lie because I have that my spiritual battle every Sunday I come up here and do the preaching I have two things. I want to please God. I'm I'm really genuine in this. But I want to be liked. I want to do well that so people say good things about my sermon. And our generation is nothing wrong with wanting both. No, Jesus saying is put your heart in pleasing God. Will you do that when you serve? When you when you uh, lead Exodus study and volunteer, you spend a lot of the children's ministry, lunch serving lunch and rotation, and dinner at home. If your heart and motive is focused on pleasing God, lack of recognition by, by people will not phase you. It encourages you when you get it, of course. Is it when I was a youth pastor, I gave my life to the teenagers. And then every year towards the end of the you know December, there's a the service, special service to show churches appreciation for 
the staff and the volunteer uh, workers. Right? I get towel. So I, this is what I work for? <laughs> the kind of weird towel, color too, that I would not use. You know what I'm talking about? Pink color or green color or something like that. It, it, they meant well, so I need to be humble and receive that. <laughs> but I don't work for that, so it doesn't faze me. I work for God. I, I want to be seen by the Father. And as I get older, it gets harder. Because your status is important. Right? When you're early 20s, it doesn't matter. But when you're early 50s, oh, this is my prime. I'm just sharing this so that you could see the temptation. And we'll talk about that in application a little more. Fasting is the last one. Uh, in between, there's a Jesus teaching prayer. We're going to actually spend a uh, few messages on learning to pray and Lord's Prayer. The, the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, including us. So skipping to, to fasting, verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may, be, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting is our duty of self-humbling and utter dependence, reliance on God. The warning is very similar. Don't do it with a desire to be noticed by men having the wrong audience and wrong concept of God and fasting, demanding results. And the charge is practice authenticity, again, secrecy in, pray, in, in fasting. And keep it to yourself, if possible. So during the Lent, then you ask questions, something like obvious question is, well, we are to share, you know, our church shares what we are fasting from during the Lent. Isn't there something wrong with that? Not really. Because once again, key principle is authenticity. Be real, and if necessary, practice secrecy. So at work, no need to share I'm fasting from this because it's Lent. But with your brothers and sisters in your men's group and women's group, you are to share and have each other encouraged and accounted for together. Why is that? Because the motive, you know, motive is the issue. I think one writer has a good insight. Do the spiritual discipline. And being seen by others is actually okay. 
you know, people ask you, in my younger days, I, I used to be idealistic. So I lied to people, the non-Christians, how come you're not eating? Oh, I'm not that hungry. I'm always hungry. <laughs> it's okay to say, uh, you know, um, I'm fasting. Sometimes we don't even have to go there, but when they directly ask questions, right? So being seen by others is okay. But fasting to be seen by others is wrong motive. Do you see the difference? And another wrong motive in our culture is for other benefits. To lose weight, uh, it's not healthy at all anyway, so I'm going to you know, fast from sugar or anything. Something that your dietary and health concerns, rather than declaration of, I need this so desperately, but using that hunger, I declare my hunger for you. That's the essence of fasting. I want to spend time, more time, my time's almost up. We want to create more time during communion time. So let me quickly suggest two applications. How do we live out this radical difference in Christian living? First one, we are to examine our hearts to purge out any hidden motives. Psalm 139, 23 to 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, there are things that we are blinded, even if we are being honest with each other, with my, ourselves. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit and ask, could you reveal the things under the rock somewhere in my heart that I will confess it and turn away from it? Practically, it starts with the admission again, not denial, that we, our fault has an insatiable desire for approval and, and praise. And to humbly ask and decisively doing the things in terms of purging out, at least I think about five ways. This, these are my temptations, subtle temptations, posing. You act like you want to be seen, you know. Like uh, when you're, when we were students, and you know, our parents were kind of scolding, "Why don't you study?" And then all of a sudden, we we're playing games or something, and then you hear the door opening, and then we take the book, right, to be seen, to pose, and we are adults now. We're more sophisticated going to church and we pose, even raise our hand but what's inside of me? Am I purging out wrong motive? Am I pur purging out the idea of that my internal state is different from the external state? Don't get surprised. We, we get that all the time because of our default mode. Another one is replacing doing by talking. 
This is our generation's sin. We need to do it. Instead of just rhetoric is here and actual practice is here. In terms of being missional church, that's why I'm really proud of our church. Living it out together. And uh, number three is rationalizing. Number four is being indecisive. So being indecisive is when someone wants to publicly honor you and you want to keep your motive pure, you need to be decisive and tell them, I'd rather not be in public. I'd rather not you publish it. And there are a few occasions that I felt like I was indecisive and then struggling when that public attention was there. So, Lord, make me pure. It's like uh, when you're a cat in front of the fish and you're saying, don't let me be tempted by this fish. Well, number five is great thing that we should remember. Double motive. Yes, I want to please God. I want to give this poor, uh, the needy people. I want to be helpful. But I want to encourage others, Christians, to do that also too. And there's a fine line, right? I cannot and you cannot read people's emotion. So let's not become judgmental about those people who are putting up Facebook posts about their good deeds. But when you do it, think twice whether you have a double purpose, double motive. When there is double motive, not do it. In so doing, we'll be able to look to Father, our Father, who sees in secret and realize that the only thing we lost in the purging process is our insatiable desire for approval and praise. Let me close you with this. We are to keep our focus on pleasing God who sees us in secret. And this has to be deliberate and intentional. Um, I, I think we continually think about what's my motive in serving? What's my motive in giving? What's my motive in praying? What's my motive in doing blank? Am I pleasing men? people or am I pleasing God and following Apostle Paul's example we should say if I were pleasing people I would not be follower of Christ I would not be servant of Christ the reason why I'm trying to replace that is it's not just for the ministers or pastors or missionaries it's every Christ follower Dallas Willard encourages practicing secrecy as a spiritual discipline. And he writes, in the discipline of secrecy, we abstain from causing our good deeds and qualities to be known. We may even take steps to prevent them from being known. We learn to love, to be unknown, 
and even to accept misunderstanding without the loss of our peace, joy, or purpose. In practice of secrecy, we experience a continuing relationship with God independent of the opinions of others. We allow God to decide when our deeds will be known and when our lights when our light will be noticed. And that love and humility encourages us to see our associates in the best possible light, even to the point of our hoping they will do better and appear better than us. That's insightful, very challenging. My prayer for our, our, our church is that we will be real church authentic in our recovery of being hypocrite. <coughs> May Jesus help us and mercy us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your call to be authentic, to have a good right motive as well as in doing good things and right things. We confess our hypocritical hearts, our insatiable desire to want people's approval and praise. But we know that as you are transforming us, it is possible for us to become like the Apostle Paul who seeks and who is determined on pleasing the Lord only. Oh, may that radical difference lived out, not just talked about here in this church community. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.